It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening, whenever you're watching. Hope you're doing okay today. Uh, today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www. Dot Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria.com or give my man a call 912-268-2328 912-268-2328 find out why we go all the way to St. Simon's to get a, uh, an authentic Italian meal uh, trust me if you're in the St. Simon's area uh, don't forget to stop by Sal's and uh, speaking of St. Simon's area I want to give a special shout out to all of, all of our uh, Brunswick uh, uh, listeners on uh, uh, on the radio dial, and uh, if you guys haven't been over to Sal's, head over to Frederica on said uh, Saint Simon. I went to the Porky Pig School of Broadcasting. That's all, folks. Uh, geez, I can't uh, can't speak speak of the English today. Uh, anyway, if you're in New Brunswick, man, just go over to Sal's. All right. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by. You guessed it. My book, Tom Molino from Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. You can get a copy by visiting uh, barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Get a copy today. You're looking to get a signed copy. Don't worry about it. Visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the book. You can't miss it. And uh, we just got a new shipment of uh, books in. Uh, so if you want the uh, the signed copies, uh, I know that there were uh, several people that were waiting uh, to get signed copies. Uh, they all went out. So everybody that's been waiting for a book, they've all been mailed. And I got a whole uh, new uh, shipment of them. So uh, now's the time. Start thinking of the holidays. You know, I hate to, hate to say it, but it's coming close. Anyway, coming up on the show today, uh, we got uh, Boxing Hall of Famer and New Jersey uh, Boxing Commissioner Larry Hazard scheduled to join us. I got an email. That was uh, geared to him, so we'll give him uh, the opportunity to respond to that, as well as uh, some other issues I'm going to talk to him about. Uh, also, today's that day again. It's a uh, blast from the past time, and Alex Papali will uh, be joining us a little bit later. And uh, today's uh, blast from the past features former world champion and boxing Hall of Famer Abe Attell. So uh, Alex and I will uh, tell you all about Abe uh, and uh, also, uh, we got a bunch of emails to read. Uh, today's main topic, um, you know, as we uh, have a countdown to Triple G uh, Canelo, which is a fight I'm totally looking forward to, 
in the meantime, it was announced that uh, Anthony Joshua will be fighting Kubat Pulov. We knew this fight was going to happen. Uh, it's taken place in uh, Cardiff, Wales uh, on October 28th. As you recall, uh, Kubat Pulov uh, was the mandatory for AJ uh, as uh, per defined by the IBF for quite some time. Pulov stepped away uh, and uh, let uh, uh, Joshua fight Klitschko, was also willing to uh, wait his turn um, should Klitschko had uh, made the decision to uh, have the rematch, which he did not. So uh, Anthony Joshua has to uh, uh, live up to his obligations and fight Pulov. My question is, will this fight go the distance? Um, I don't think it's going to go the distance. I, I don't think it's going to go past eight rounds. Uh, there is some other political issues going on concerning the other belt that Anthony Joshua holds, and that one uh, is the WBA. And over the last uh, several weeks, the WBA has listed uh, Luis Ortiz as its mandatory and is threatening to strip um, Anthony Joshua of the WBA belt uh, that he won, which was vacant on the line when he fought uh, Klitschko, uh, if he does not fight Luis Ortiz. But uh, I have always said, especially in this particular case, that Anthony Joshua uh, is better for the WBA than the WBA stripping him. Nonetheless, Pulov, AJ, October 28th. Will the fight go the distance? Joining me right now is my man, battling, getting ready for the, for the storm down south. Uh, Sal, Rocky. Senatola and Sal, my question to you, Anthony Joshua, Cuba Pulov, October 28th, will this fight go the distance? No, it will not go the distance. I uh, definitely see Joshua probably in the, uh, probably by the seventh, eighth round, uh, probably stopping Pulov. And uh, that's, how, that's how I see it. And uh, of course, you know, we saw some things with the Klitschko fight that, you know, Joshua, I'm sure has been working on. One, his uh, pacing himself and his his conditioning and uh, being able to punch in combinations and sustain a level of uh, uh, conditioning that, that will get him into the later round. So I'm sure he's been working on that. Uh, but I don't see the fight going a distance. No way. And I see uh, definitely Joshua ending the fight uh, before the 10th round. Um, I agree with you. Uh, Anthony Joshua is the best heavyweight on the planet today. Uh, Cuba Pulov. I've, I've had the luxury of seeing him live. Um, you know, I had the, you know, most people that haven't seen him, uh, it, 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 you know, you get this, I believe it's a misconception of how big he is and how strong he is and everything else. Um, he's not as big as you would think. I, I mean, I'm not, obviously I'm not a big guy and I, you know, I shook his hand. I was standing right next to him and he just, he's not as big as he looks. Uh, a, AJ is in addition to that, Pulov is, is kind of slow. Um, I, I don't see this fight. I, it's not going to make it to the eighth round. I, you know, I do respect Pulov for being patient, and I do respect the IBF for making, uh, uh, you know, all the fights that mattered happen before they forced Anthony Joshua to fight this fight. I can't say the same for the WBA. I mean, Luis Ortiz was the interim champion, then he wasn't, then he was, you know, and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden they're ordering Klitschko to fight him knowing that he had other obligations. I mean, we talked about this last time you were on, Sal, and, and you know, I really believe that the WBA would make a huge mistake in stripping Anthony Joshua. I think they got to figure out a way uh, to, uh, to bide some time, let 
Anthony Joshua fill his mandatory with the IBF, then force him to fight uh, whoever they see fit, in this case, Luis Ortiz. Or there's a lot of rumor that Ortiz and Deontay Wilder might get it on. So um, what's your thoughts on, on the WBA possibly stripping um, uh, Anthony Joshua? And, oh, one other thing, maybe, maybe Deontay Wilder's team would uh, try to push to have uh, uh, them strip him so he would obtain the belt and have some more uh, uh, leverage when uh, when those two meet. So what's your thoughts on the WBA stripping uh, AJ? Well, there's the politics of boxing. And, you know, we, we could look at this uh, two ways. But, you know, for a world-sanctioning body organization to make concessions just for when it suits their needs, uh, I, I have a hard time with that. Uh, the rules are the rules. So I'm, I'm a little bit uh, uh, looking at both sides of this fence. And, you know, the mandatories, they say every six months you got to defend your title against the number one ranked contender. Well, you know, uh, as you suggested, the IBF made some concessions or so uh, to allow uh, mandatories or fulfillments of other fights before they uh, start their clock ticking. But uh, on the other side of the fence, you know, hey, a mandatory is a mandatory. If you're you're representing a world-sanctioning body's uh, role as a champion, yeah, six months you're supposed to defend against their number one ranked contender in the world. So. You know, like I said, if they're going to make concessions, they 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 lose some credibility, or they gotta they gotta make concessions where they do across the board. They can't do it just to suit their needs, and then uh, uh, hardline on another level uh, to do this. This should all be some kind of clause built into these sanctioning bodies to allow everybody to to uh, to fulfill some obligations here and there and then uh, move forward. Either that or they got to have one way to, to form one world sanctioning body, which will never happen, and uh, just declare one champion per weight class. That would be, that would be a perfect story, but that ain't going to happen. Well, you know, I, it's interesting what you say because – you know, half of what you said, the sanctioning bodies would be seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like what Sal Rocky Senecola said. You know, they, 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 you know, they have to fulfill their obligations, which I totally understand. You know, I mean, you win a title. Uh, you know, if you want to have any value, if the if the sanctioning body wants to have any value, uh, you know, they need to uh, enforce their own rules and regulations, which which I do agree with you on. However, in this particular case, because sanctioning bodies don't recognize another fighter that's got a title okay so in other words like anthony joshua is nowhere in the wb um uh a well that's not a good example the wbc rankings anthony joshua is nowhere there because he's got another title so you know if 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 they're trying to tell me that anthony joshua is not you know one of their uh, the way the wbc in this particular uh example sees him as one of the top 10 heavyweights in the world well how, how can how can you even suggest that so with that said you know the wba saying okay well we made luis ortiz our mandatory so now you got to fight him they're showing no respect for his other belt the ibf i just think that fighters the bottom line here i mean we can go round and round but the bottom line sal is when a fighter reaches a certain plateau in terms of recognition and achievement etc cetera, etc cetera, I think it's more beneficial to a sanctioning body to work with them in order to allow them to meet their obligations with all of the other sanctioning bodies and uh, and try to get it that way because it's, it's going to help them in the long run. I mean, the value of a fight between 
uh, Anthony Joshua with multiple belts on the line, including a WBA belt, is way more uh, valuable, in my opinion, than stripping him of the belt and then handing that belt uh, to a winner of another fight. I mean, don't you think? Oh, I agree with you. And, you know, you just you just had my mind playing chess games here. You know, when you say that the WBA did not recognize Anthony Joshua. No, WBC, WBC because he's WBC. Okay, the, the, that's because I, I, they, I got my I got my P's and Q's. Well, that, WBEs, that's, that, that's because uh, he's mixed a, up. But that's because he's uh, a champion in another division, another sanctioning body. So they won't even recognize a champion as a top 10 guy. But that that's that's unbelievable because you know what? Here's here's what I was, here's where I was going. I think everybody should have a, a mandatory agreement that if there's a world sanctioning body that recognizes their world champion, they should automatically have the. Uh, hello. Champion as their number one ranked contender in their division against their champion. And this way, the mandatories will force hell of a fight, you know? Here, here we go. That's it. We won't have to wait. The round robin will occur. Yeah, I, I, we keep losing Other champions. Sal, you, you keep dropping in and out. Um, so, I, um, yeah, well, it's not your fault. Uh, well, maybe no, it's it is. The weather. Maybe it's it is. I don't know. But, uh, but the bottom line is, uh, Anthony Joshua, we both don't think uh, Joshua Pulov will go the distance. One last thing yeah. before we take a break. Chocolito returns, man. The last time we saw him was at your place, and uh, he was in a, uh, a bloody uh, fight uh, against who he's fighting this uh, weekend. Uh, Siracat saw uh, Rungzaval which I know I murdered his name, but uh, Chocolito losing for the first time against Rungzaval. It was a great fight, very action-packed. The rematch uh, is this weekend for the Super Flyweight title. Also on that card, uh, another guy that uh, many people thought was going to uh, fight Chocolito in uh, um, the uh, Inoue, Neo uh, Inoue, uh, who's a champion from Japan. He's on that card, uh, and also uh, Estrada, uh, is going against Kudras, which was a, a really close fight that uh, uh, Chocolito had prior uh, to losing his belt. What's your thoughts on the Chocolito fight? Will he uh, come out on top uh, in the rematch? Well, I I, I like Chocolito, and I think uh, he definitely has his opportunity right before him, and, and uh, I hope he does come out on top. I'm a little biased. Yes, I said it here. Uh, I like him. He's a great fighter, and uh, yeah, I think he, uh, I think he will. I think he will come out on top, and uh, it'll be a great fight as uh, as we expect from him. They're all great fights that he does. He's a he's a he's a champion at heart and uh, champion in the ring. So it'll be a good, exciting fight, and I do expect him to win. Yeah, I, I, I you know what? When when I watched that fight live, uh, I thought that uh, uh, Chocolito uh, lost. And then when I watched it again, I kind of changed my mind a little, uh, and I thought it was an extremely close fight, but I, I thought he should have gotten the nod. And one of the issues that we had discussed, uh, you know, since the first fight was the simple fact of were the judges influenced by the appearance of, uh, of, El, uh, of Chocolito because uh, Roman Gonzalez uh, was bleeding uh, profusely. And, you know, he, it wasn't looking good. And, and I, I think it's, you know, uh, human nature to think that the guy who looks worse 
uh, is the guy who's losing. And, and I, you know, I, I, I just can't help but think that maybe that was uh, influential in the judge's decisions. You know, who knows? It, it very may very well might have been. And, uh, you know, it, it's so funny because uh, I hate to agree with you, but I agree with you. Uh, I watched that fight. When I first saw it, I said, wow, I can't believe Chuck Lito is going to lose this fight. And then when I did watch it again, I saw that, you know, wait a minute. He scored here. He looks good here. Uh, the blood was definitely a factor. Uh, so, you know, I, Billy C., it's, a, it's an interesting observation by you. And uh, we'll have to see and maybe uh, just uh, keep a good open eye uh, for this, uh, this fight this weekend. See what happens. I agree. Listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, I got some emails, so don't go anywhere. So we'll be back in two. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, by the way, don't forget, I know you uh, can get this show in many forms. Uh, We are on TV. We are on the radio. We are on podcasts. We are on the internet. We are on YouTube. And we also simulcast simulcast uh, on uh, Facebook Live. And if you're watching us on Facebook Live, and we appreciate that, don't forget to get the full version. We're very limited with Facebook Live. They don't allow us to to do uh, several things. But if you want to get the same version of this show that we air on the television networks, uh, just come on over to our YouTube page, uh, and you can reach that uh, by going to youtube.com slash talking, T-A-L-K-I-N, boxing, B-O-X-I-N-G. I'm here with my man, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal... Uh, we got uh, a couple of emails. You ready to roll on these? I am ready to go, but I, I, I appreciate you letting everybody know where we are because reminds me of an old saying that a friend once told me was, <laughs> yeah. wherever you are, you're there. No, it's not. The, your old friend said, <laughs> don't forget, wherever you go, there you are. Jeez. There you on, go. Man. You know, See, if you're gonna steal my, If you're going to steal my lines, get it right at least, you know. But uh, <laughs> this first one's from my man, Jesse. He says, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I can't wait for this Saturday's matchup. It should be a great uh, time for these small division fighters. The best fight probably would be Kudras against Estrada. Action-packed boxers anyway will demolish his opponent, and Chocolito uh, will be the same. I hope the winner... Yeah, that's interesting that he thinks Chocolito will destroy uh, his opponent this time. He says, uh, I hope the winners will face each other. If that happens, they will all lose to Inouye. Uh, even though Inouye does not have the resume and experience, he's too young, fast, and talented um, to beat those fighters. I, I think he, I think he meant that he's so young and talented that he will beat those fighters. He says, "Don't get me wrong; they will make it tough for him, but his talent is just too much." Uh, Brian versus Inouye, and the winner of the other fight, uh, Brian versus Inouye, which will be Inouye. I, you got me a little confused with uh, all your uh, anyway. innu- innu- innuendos. <laughs> huh? Huh? <laughs> anyway. anyway. Uh, he says, uh, Billy, will David Benavidez be the youngest champ in history for the super middleweight division at age 20? He should beat Gravel, even though Gravel is uh, dangerous. Uh, J. Leon Love versus Abby Han will be a war because Han gives it all, his all. 
I am just totally unimpressed with Jaleon Love. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, Abby Han is, is, is a guy that never really, um, you know, he, he's good for the B level and below, but as soon as he steps on, I'm not suggesting Jay Leon Love is an A-level fighter by any means, uh, but, uh, but I think Han will give him all kinds of trouble. And, you know, just to have Jay Leon Love just get out of the picture, I would love to see Han uh, get the upset. As far as David Benavidez being the youngest uh, super middleweight champ at age 20, you know what? I don't know for a fact. But I think so. I, I can't, you know, the super middleweight division, I can't think of another uh, off the top of my head. And the super middleweight division is fairly young. Uh, it came about in the 80s. I, I can't think of another super middleweight that was younger than David Benavides. Can you, Sal? No, I cannot. I, I, I still try and, uh, no, I cannot. I cannot think of that. Just like uh, Wilfredo Benitez. Does he still hold that record as the youngest welterweight champion, right? I would think. You know, he was, yeah, what, 18, 19? You know, so um, he says, uh, what's your thoughts on upset victories of uh, Iran Diaz versus Concepcion and Centero versus Aleem? Will they get a shot against uh, uh, a top 10 fighter? I, you know what? I, you know, when you win, you should be rewarded, you know, and <laughs> when they bring a, a, a fighter in that is supposed to lose and the favorite, the A-side, so to speak, loses to the opponent. Uh, I think that says a lot of stuff. Number one, it says the opponent is better than people thought, and you can't go by losses on a record. And number two, which is more obvious, the A-side fighter either just was simply not as good as advertised or took the opponent lightly. And, you know, I, I think that's all too common in, in the United States uh, fighters today. Sal, we talk about these tournaments and, and no American fighters uh, being involved with the uh, World uh, Boxing Super Series tournament. I, I just don't think that the United States has, they may have the better athletes, but they're certainly not proving it in the ring. No, I agree with you. They, uh, you know, they like to have the uh, fighting with the mouth too and uh you know we have to see these guys step up and take on the challenges and rise to the occasion and challenge themselves and that's uh that's uh that's what we're waiting to see from a lot of fighters out there today uh, i got another email this one thanks for the email jesse uh this is uh uh two parts from my man johnston and he says uh, hey billy c and sal you mentioned on the show that the super series hasn't been advertised much and not many broadcasters are picking up the fights well the good news is on this side of the pond, now uh, Johnson is over in England. Uh, he says uh, uh, IT, uh, ITV4 has announced the live coverage of Callum Smith against Eric Sokolund uh, on September 16th. Uh, they uh, have not confirmed if they are going to show all of the World Boxing Super Series uh, bouts, although it's expected that the competition uh, will be sold to networks as a package deal. The format keeps off in the Cruiserweight division with uh, Usyk going against Huck on Saturday night, which is this weekend, uh, and ITV uh, is also going to cover that. Uh, they also are claiming that uh, uh, ITV box office will be airing the Eubank Jr. Yildrum fight and Groves James Cox uh, on October 7th and October 14th, respectively. So uh, that sounds good. He says, on another note, uh, I'm sure you already know, but it's no big secret. Uh, Joshua Pulov is set uh, for uh, Cardiff in October 28th. The question is, will the WBA strip him? Here's some quotes from Joshua. Uh, he says, uh, I've been eager to get back in the ring since Wembley, uh, which he's referring to his fight with Klitschko. 
He says, uh, I've uh, been locked away focusing on fight number 20 for the uh, – uh, I will be locked away uh, for the next eight weeks. I'm excited to experience the atmosphere in a sold-out Principality Stadium and aim to give the fans a spectacular fight. Puloff said, uh, Anthony is a formidable opponent. We will not hug. We will not hold. We will not run. We will stand and fight. His style fits mine perfectly, and in boxing, style makes fights. My preparation will be very intense, and I will be perfectly ready when I enter the ring so that he will have no chance to beat me. Uh, thanks for the quotes, Johnston. Um, you know, I, I like to hear the confidence, Sal, of uh, Pulov, and obviously we say it all the time, uh, styles do make fights, but in this case, I just think the athleticism of Anthony Joshua, even though uh, Pulov feels his style suits him, I think the athleticism, and we've seen Anthony Joshua, his hand speed and the way he delivers punches and stuff, in addition to his humongous size, uh, I think it's just going to be too much for Pulov. Well, I think you're right, and we, we look at it, and, and Anthony Joshua, he's got a crushing blow. The guy's devastating with the, the way he can deliver a punch. He puts his leverage, he sits on him, he's great, uh, he's, got the, he's got the delivery of a punch, he turns him over well. So it is definitely uh, an execution-style punch to a lot of opponents. Uh, you know, my my concern and my only question would be, you know, how Pulov, and we do say this all the time, styles do make fights, how Pulov is going to go in there and try to tire out uh, Joshua to see if uh, that was a uh, once-in-a-fight once kind of thing when he got gassed out with the combinations he threw against Klitschko. I believe it was round five or so, uh, or four, but, uh, you know, that, that, that totally spent his, his whole resource, and that's why he got dropped uh, and, and almost knocked out the, the following round. But, uh, you know, that would be my, uh, my strategy if I was in the Pulov camp is, is try to get Joshua to the later rounds, try to move and outbox and, and see what he could do and stay away from some of those crushing blows. And when you're inside, tie him up and wrestle with him and wear him down a little bit. But, uh, you know, Joshua's a big, strong guy. That's going to be hard to come <laughs> come out on the positive side when you're doing that with a big strong guy like that no no doubt him plus he doesn't have the athleticism i got two more emails i want to fly through here because uh, we got a break here in two minutes but uh uh here's one for all you longtime listeners um obviously you've heard uh the back and forth comments that we've had over the years with nobody here and uh a listener nobody here uh was uh uh, around, he was in the chat room. He called in and uh, uh, gave some uh, uh, interesting perspectives on uh, different topics he was having, and we haven't heard from him uh, until today. I got an email, uh, actually yesterday. He says, "Hey Billy C, I still listen to your show now on YouTube." He says, "It's cool how you guys have the whole gang on video. Nice touch." I had to write you after hearing your commentary on the Mayweather. Uh, Fight, he says. I think you shouldn't think of Mayweather as a bamboozling as bamboozling anyone. He says instead call him an anti-champion. His career is a response to failures of champions before him, namely finances, health, and trading, fighting in uh, the mythical prime for jewelry, and he puts in parentheses belts of uh, fans and notoriety. You know, it's funny he says that because at one point he said that the more belts, the better it was for boxing. Anyway, he says, in fact, his career is more like him assuming the role of the consummate big boss villain. Would-be champions and heroes collect jewelry and fans just so they can face the big boss, which is Floyd. But in this story, for reasons good and bad, the villain always wins. 
it in the end it's just another way of being a long time uh, long time reigning champion boxing had 21 years to dethrone him and couldn't so be it and of course like a villain he even admits that he's not the greatest but rather that he's the best ever ha ha he says we knew mcgregor <laughs> was going to lose but the best part about this fight wasn't even the fight it was the fact that i could watch this fight with non-boxing fans and they enjoyed it that's a win in my book um you know what as much as i hate to agree with nobody here i agree i agree with nobody (laughs) here i think that he's right and uh i think that uh, the way his perspective is is right and uh i I do uh, agree that mayweather has taken uh, uh his career to a safety first level uh, and, um, you know, specifically tried to avoid uh, all those things, you know, failures financially, failure in health, um, the diminishing skill set. And uh, I think that that's uh, indicative of his choice of opponents for the last several years. You know, so I, I agree with nobody here. And I also agree that it was a win to have uh, boxing fans and non-boxing fans and MMA fans uh, all enjoying the fight. Uh, thanks for the email, nobody here, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you're still uh, uh, watching the show. And finally, one last email. This one's from Joel. He says, uh, thanks for taking my call Monday. I enjoyed catching up with you in the world of boxing. He says, with the Canelo Triple G fight less than two weeks away and the majority of the boxing world discussing it, I was curious to see what you and Sal thought about the undercard. Is there an undercard fight that you're looking forward to that really stands out? Joel says, I personally am looking forward uh, to watching uh, Ryan Martin. I think Diego De La Hoya versus Randy Caballero is a competitive fight, as I think the same for Jojo Diaz and Jorge Lara. Uh, real quickly, we did talk about this. Uh, I enjoy watching Ryan Martin. Uh, I think Diego De La Hoya against Randy Caballero probably will be a very competitive fight. Uh, Jojo Diaz against Jorge Lara, also good fights. My quick opinion on this is that undercard is very good, except I just don't think it's pay-per-view worthy, but certainly Triple G versus Canelo is. Sal, what's your uh, quick thoughts on that? Well, again, you know, when it comes to the undercards, I I never buy a pay-per-view for an undercard, and uh, I'm always looking for the main event. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it was a good good perspective, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm just really looking right now at that Triple G um, Canelo Alvarez fight. Can't wait for it. Sal, can't wait. Gonna, In fact, we're, we're gonna kick you, you to the curb for a little bit. Yeah, you got the uh, he's he's donning the the Triple G Canelo shirt, which he claims he's sending me one, but we'll see. He said that to Joel about his own shirts, but uh, Sal, go have some coffee. We'll be back to you uh, in a little bit. We're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we're scheduled to have uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard join us. So don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Hey, fight fans, check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And tell them Billy C. sent you. Broadcasting in all corners of the globe on the web and radio. He would scoff at a stretch of that man, I would think. Ah! 
You're listening to Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. From upstate New York in the good old U.S. of A. Boxing is here to stay because we are here to stay. The best two hours of boxing talk on the airwaves. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. Because we want you to be there with Billy and me. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, speaking about being with us, joining us right now, Boxing Hall of Famer, my main man, Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. Hey, Billy. How you doing? Not too bad, my man. Not too bad. I got a bunch of things I want to talk to you about. It seems like we haven't talked to you in years. But uh, first, I got an email that's uh, written uh, from Chris uh, from Canada. And he uh, it's to you. He says, uh, uh, Roy Jones Jr. versus Montel Griffith. He says, Larry, can you reminisce and talk about the bla- backlash about that you received about disqualifying Roy Jones Jr., giving him his first loss? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really get any backlash except from Roy. <laughs> well, hey, that could, that's probably, that, that probably, he probably throws that in your face every time you see him now, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not really, not really. You know, Roy, Roy and I are very, very um, uh, amicable when we see each other. As a matter of fact, Roy knows that I really think that Roy was one of the very best. I also, um, you know, I've listened to him on on HBO. He's very knowledgeable, except that uh, most most conversation ends up talking about Roy. But still in all, you know, he earned it. He earned it in there, but... As far as the backlash is concerned, hey, look, it's like this. He hit the man. He hit Montel not just once, but he hit him twice while he was on the canvas, okay? It was clear that that occurred. Uh, Montel, of course, couldn't continue in the fight. So we have rules and regulations. I just uh, came from from Maryland. You remember the... Um, disqualification that took place with the Darrell kid. I can't I can't pronounce the guy from Mexico, Ustescu uh, or whatever his name was. You remember that happened a month or so ago, um, Billy? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I just went down to Maryland because they, they filed a hearing and tried to get that disqualification overturned. So the, the Mar- Maryland commissioner... Uh, Pat Pinello, who's a good friend of mine, he asked me to come down. Yes, he he asked me to come down as an expert witness. And uh, believe it or not, um, the other side had Steve Smolger come in as an expert witness. Who, wait, a minute. What's that? What, wait a minute, wait a minute. Steve, ad- Steve Smolger came in for Team Durrell or Yuzov Guy? Yuzov Guy. Okay. Yuzov Guy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He came in to, to, to 
criticized the mechanics. You know, I found this to be very odd. He came in as an active referee who just a week ago got punched. Got I'm surprised he still has his nose left, okay, talking about um, poor mechanics. He came in to criticize a fellow referee, um, Gil Clant, um, Bill Clancy, saying that, you know, he exercised poor judgment, poor mechanics, and he was supporting user guy's um, contention that the fight should be, um, the, that the disqualification should be thrown out and that he should be declared the winner. And um, I found that very odd that a uh, active referee, and of course, during his examination, it was revealed that 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 the uh, promoters paid him a thousand dollars to come in as their expert witness. Uh, I didn't get paid anything, of course. I went in to support the uh, commission's position that the punch came after the bell, and it was a foul after the fighter had been won several times, and he was disqualified. Well. Getting back to the Roy Jones situation, um, there was really no no, no um, discussion to be had on that issue. Roy actually hit hit the man twice while he was down. So the only backlash that I can recall from that was from the Roy Jones camp, which was to be expected, you know. So. That's, I guess, hopefully I could, could uh, I can't explain that any more clearly than that. Um, you know, when I see Roy, he's accepted that, although he's, I, I see that he has uh, referenced it several times during discussions in which he, you know, was discussing on HBO on fight night, but he, he was, uh, he was always a gentleman about it. He you know, he did what he could to see if we would reconsider that, you know, the disqualification. But, you know, the rules are there to be obeyed, and um, it is what it is, you know, and that's what happened. Well, for- of course, he, he vindicated himself with the rematch. So uh, hopefully that, you know, gave him some consolation. Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you for, <laughs> for sending me that clip of uh, uh, Smoger uh, getting a shot to the head. That was that was uh, very enjoyable when I got when I watched it. And uh, you know, I, to tell you the truth, to hear that he was paid doesn't that negate his opinion because he's coming in as kind of like a, a, an employee uh, of one side? And and wouldn't that be a conflict of interest? I mean, to me. I don't think that they should allowed his his comments once money was transferred, you know, especially if it was if it was publicized. And as far as that fight, yeah, he was warned. You you know, my thought was that he was in motion, but you're right. I mean, it was clearly after the bell. But I don't think that I, I think if anything, that result maybe gets you know they order a rematch. Uh, and, and change it to a no contest, or leave it as a DQ, but order a rematch. You know, I mean, to me, it's you know they, they should have that fight, but uh, you know we had spoken about that. It just seems that trouble follows the Durrell camp, either brother, and uh, um, yeah. I don't know, I don't know, but uh, well, 
Well, well, look, look. It's it. They they were gone for a double win. Okay, the other the other fighter, um, the IBF already ordered a rematch. The commission, the commission really doesn't have the authority to order rematches. Okay, the commission makes a decision, and that's it. Um, as far as the promotional end of it, they can't. You know, the commission can't declare that there shall be a rematch or whatever. It's it's over once it uh, once the commission rules on their behalf. But the IBF, the IBF did rule uh, opposite the commission. So, but they were just going for the home run. You know, they just were 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 insistent that they wanted it all, and um, they didn't get it all. You know, the co- the commission uh, board upheld the uh, commission ruling. So. You know, they they got their rematch. Um, I think that the IBF did declare it uh, a no contest uh, for whatever reason. But, you know, I'm sure that's more business than doing it right, okay, because whoever made that decision at the IBF, I don't know of anybody in their administrative um, um, organization on that half that have any experience as a referee or as a judge uh, in boxing. So I find it kind of odd that people who have no pedigree can make those type of, of decisions, really, you know. Hey, hey, but La- anyway. Hey, Larry, I got a question that is being – I got a bunch of stuff I need to talk to you about, but one more thing on that issue that we jumped into, the uh, that uh, DQ in the chat room. They're asking me to uh, ask you – did the commission uh, touch on anything else, including the aftermath of that fight? You know, the, the, the sucker punch by the guy in the corner. I mean, I know they suspended him uh, and, and criminal charges were put on him. But I've never heard another thing about it. Uh, they were supposed to have um, gone back to court, I believe, sometime in August. So, and, I, and I've never heard anything about it. Was any of that discussed or were they just concentrating on the, on the uh, result of the fight? They just concentrated on the result of the fight. They didn't touch on any of the uh, aftermath or any of the other associative events that took place. They strictly stuck to the uh, result of the fight, and uh, their focus was on whether the whatever that fighter's name is. Just call him Jose. Just call him Jose. When I, I can't pronounce their last yeah, names. Jose. Just, right. Jose. Jose is easy. We can say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did it. I also did that at the hearing. I wasn't going to try to tackle his name. But, no, they only they only focused on um, the uh, testimony given by Jose's camp, the uh, expert, so-called expert testimony given by Smoja. And, uh, of course, uh, I came afterwards and they focused on my testimony and and the background information relative to the uh decision that was it um okay it's time uh let me ask you uh your thoughts on the uh event i don't want to call it a fight but an event between uh mayweather and mcgregor I was uh, impressed with uh, McGregor uh, after uh, six rounds. I was actually scoring the fight, believe it or not. And after six rounds, I had it even, three rounds apiece, and then Floyd just took over. What I saw, Larry, and I know we communicated a little bit um, uh, through uh, email or whatever, but what I saw was 
actually surprised me. Um, number one, uh, McGregor's no boxer. I mean, he had no footwork, uh, no defense. Uh, didn't he had no power? Which shocked the hell out of me. I, I the only chance I was giving him was I, I I had this misconception that he had this punching power, and he doesn't even deliver his punches well, the the correct way at least in boxing. But the one thing I noticed was that the way the unorthodox way that he was delivering his jab. Floyd had no answer for it, Larry. I mean, it was like he was hitting him at will with the jab. I was shocked. And there's no way. I mean, I've had Floyd fans tell me, oh, he was letting him do that. No way. You, you do not let somebody smack you square in the face the way he was getting hit. The problem was, in my opinion, was that they had no idea of what to do. They stuck to their game plan when they should have changed it and tried to beat Floyd with the jab all night. They would have won on the scorecard should they have kept that up. And then somehow uh, the fatigue factor came in. What was your thoughts uh, on the event, the fight, etc.? Well, you know, of course, the, 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 the conclusion was what we all expected. Um, I was a little bit surprised uh, at the way Floyd was fighting starting out. But then after hearing his explanation relative to the strategy that him and his dad had planned, then I said, well, I guess it made sense. It worked, okay? But I, like you, uh, I was a bit surprised at um, McGregor's effectiveness with, I don't even know if you want to call it a jab, because you could see he had no boxing, real boxing technique or skills whatsoever. But... Whatever he was doing, I call it a pouring. He was pouring, pour, P-A-W, um, at Floyd. He was effective with that, at least for the first three rounds. I think I gave him the first three rounds. And round four was close, but I think that's when Floyd, in my opinion, started turning it up. Yeah. Now, um, what I saw in this fight after looking at it, and by the way, I didn't buy it. But I did go to my son's house. Okay, they they kicked me out of the house. My wife kicked me out of the house. I know. And made hey, me listen, your wife looks forward to pay per views when you leave the house. Come on, man, you weren't allowed to stay in the house. I mean, they they had other well, things going on. They had to get you out. You knew that. So so I went to my son's house. Um, what I saw here was new territory for both. And what I mean by that is this: McGregor in his career and most of his fights, I don't think I don't think many or if any of his fights went beyond three rounds which in MMA as you know at his level those three rounds would 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 uh total maybe 15 minutes you know three five minute rounds Floyd of course new territory for him was because Floyd was always throughout his career which which made him rather boring sometimes He'd sit back there in the pocket and let the fighter, his opponent, come to him, and he'd demonstrate his defensive skills and his um, his ability to counterattack. So in this particular situation, Floyd carried, he had to carry the fight to McGregor, which he did after round four, which was new for him. But what was really new for McGregor was going into deep water. You know, as the fight got late into the later rounds, he started to tire. And that's because 
he had never gone beyond a 15, 20-minute limit in a fight. Now you're talking about going into 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, and he just was not conditioned to uh, meet that challenge. And, of course, you saw what happened. The very punch that's effective against all soft paws, whether it be in boxing or MMA, is that lead right hand against soft paws and the shots to the body. You know, that just wore him down with the overall fatigue factor that kicked in because he just was not used to going into that type of contest. And so, you know, Floyd was able to, uh, you know, come through in the end. Yeah, and, I, it, it just... You know, it, it, the outcome was what we all expected. Yeah, and it just... it. You know, as an ex, I've said this all along. If this fight was an exhibition, I'd have no no problem with it. As a matter of fact, I, I liked I liked the fact that it had so much interest and we had so many crossover people watching it. I, I you know, we did it right. an event, and I, you know, uh, the guy who sold this, I'll tell you right now. You know, I know Floyd has done very well with pay per views uh, throughout his career, but the guy who sold this fight was McGregor. Everybody that I saw that yeah. watched this fight was rooting for McGregor. I mean, they were all MMA fans, and they really thought that he was going to win this fight. Um, I, I, I really, I mean, I don't really want to talk about Floyd anymore unless for some reason he fights again, which I hope he doesn't. But I, I just think it's sad. I mean, it's good for him financially, and, you know, it was an easy fight for him. But I really, my, what I can't get over is, number one, that they approved the fight. I, I really have lost a lot of respect for Bob Bennett and the Nevada State Athletic Commission for approving that fight. Um, I, I don't think that it should have been a sanctioned fight. And and I and for all intent purposes, as a sanctioned fight and a 50th win, which we both agree is only, you know, uh, important in the heavyweight division, really, um, I, I just, I'm a little disappointed in Floyd. You know, a guy that, that you know, wants everybody to have him up at the top, uh, that's not how you prove it. You don't prove it by fighting a guy who can't box. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, I used an analogy, uh, Larry. I said, you know, it's like taking a, a quarterback who's a successful quarterback in, in NFL and then all of a sudden say, hey, guess what? Here, uh, take off the shoulder pads. Uh, here's a baseball. You're pitching in the World Series tomorrow night. You know, I, and he never threw a pitch in his life uh, with a baseball. I mean, you know, and, and then... I, it's just you can't do it, you know, and that's what that's what happened. But uh, anyway, um, well, pr pr go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to. Well, well, what I was going to say is that I think that, you know, Floyd, with all of his skills and with all of his abilities as a boxer, because I do believe that Floyd is is a fantastic. He, he's an outstanding fighter. You know, he's the best of his era. He's proven that. But I think that he he would have done himself. And I think that even his his fans probably would have had a greater level of appreciation for him if he had called out the best guy, like Sugar Ray Leonard did when he called out Marvin Hagler in a real fight. And I think that the 50th win would be more accepting oh, yeah. to the general public and to the boxing purists if he if he had won against you know someone with equal or at least you know, someone coming from the boxing uh, profession, you know, it, it would have been, I think, 
a bit more enhancing to Floyd's career. I agree. And by the way, the 50, you know, that, that record, just so people will understand that you're talking about retiring undefeated because there were a lot of fighters who, you know, uh, had 50 or more fights before they lost. Okay, so, you know, uh, uh, that's a little ambiguous when people talk about that 50-0 and 0 record or 49-0. and 0. They're talking about being able to retire as uh, Rocky Marciano did. So Floyd is now, you know, able to do that, although number 50 was not against a fighter. Yeah, but the other, the other, the other thing about that is no other heavyweight, though. See, I look at that as heavyweight because no other heavyweight reached forty nine and zero. The only guy that came close was Larry Holmes. He was forty eight and zero before he fought uh, Spinks. You know, so that that's the division. No other uh, heavyweight ever reached that. And you're right. Well, many, that's another point. Yeah, ma- many fighters surpassed the the fifty. But uh, but just to your point. I agree with you 100%. And and the Sugar Ray Leonard Marvin Hagler is, is the exact example I use. But, you know, the funny thing about it is not only would have it, it would have, and I just said this in, in the uh, chat room, somebody uh, made a comment, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that if, if um, uh, Floyd Mayweather challenged the winner of, let's say, Triple G Canelo, my respect for Floyd would skyrocket. Whether he won, yeah. whether he lost, or whether the fight was a draw, his overall position, at least in my personal all-time great list, would 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 rise dramatically. You know, um, the the thing about the Sugar Ray Leonard Hagler fight was the fact that um, people still remember that. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard lost after that fight, but people still remember that accomplishment, and that's something that talk about etching yourself in in history. And that's that's something that Floyd does not have. He does not have that signature fight. I'm sorry, he does not have it. You know, he's got a lot of wins. He's got financial success. He's undefeated. Uh, you know, uh, arguably the best of his generation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he doesn't have a signature fight. I can't. Uh, the fight that comes to mind, the two fights that come to mind that he fought in 50 wins, is the Pacquiao Boar Snooze Fest and this last one against McGregor, which shouldn't have even happened. You know, so. Um, you know, he's he's lacking a signature fight, Larry. Well, I have to agree with that. Uh, I have to agree with that. He he never had the right dance partner, I can tell you that, because we really don't know exactly how good this kid really is. You know, we know that he's he's outstanding, but unless you call out the best guy, we really never know just how good you are if you don't get the right partner. I haven't seen, you know, in Floyd's career, there's still that big question mark, you know, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to haunt him now because I don't think that he ever really had the right dance partner because there could be more that we never saw from Floyd Mayweather. Oh, I agree. And I think he did, I think he did himself a little bit of a disservice by – you know, calling out McGregor. Yes, it was a very successful uh, event, money-wise. So if it's all about the money, then he made the right decision. Well, if it's all about but, if it's all about the money, he's number one. There's no question. If it, oh, absolutely. If, if we I have mean, a if we so have a ranking if about that's the case, the, yeah. If that's the case, you can't argue. Exactly. But I would think at his point, at this point in time for him, it could be or should be a little bit more 
about his legacy, you know, and I think that he, he, he did miss a great opportunity there. Well, there would be no question. There would be no, you know, there won't be a, there wouldn't be a whole lot of conversation about Floyd Mayweather and his career if he had called out the best guy in his final bow, you know. He could have, he could have answered and dis, uh, dispatched with all of the questions in just one fight, yep. and he still would have made a lot of money on top of it. You're, you're, you know what, Larry? That is so true. And then all of the people like myself who, who bitch and moan about the cherry picking for all those other fights get shoved yep. under the carpet. Nobody remembers none of that if he comes out and, and picks uh, you know the best guy out there. Uh, that's what he would go down, and and you're 100 percent right. And 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 in a way, you know, Floyd, as successful as he was in the bank, you know, he cheated the fans of show. I don't think we ever saw the best Floyd Mayweather. I think that the best Floyd Mayweather was kept under wraps, and it's well, a shame because you know you want to at least show it. And in today's world, with the video and the and the historical, uh, you know, history being saved forever and ever. Uh, you know, he would have. It would have been a hard, uh, hard guy to beat down the road if if he did that throughout his career. But uh, yeah, hey, I got yeah. I got less than a minute, and, and, and I got to get your thoughts. These sanctioning bodies that are uh, threatening to strip fighters, like for example, the WBA threatening to strip Joshua, uh, and the IBF forcing uh, Terence Crawford to give up his belt so quickly. Don't do you think that it it it, it hurts the sanctioning body to, to distance themselves from these, you know, uh, super A-plus level fighters like uh, AJ and, and Terrence Crawford, I mean, over the greed factor? Or, or do you think that, you know, they just don't want to allow, um, you know, unified champions? Well, they don't care, okay? You see, they, they don't care. People, this is what people have to understand. Even boxing people, learn it boxing people like yourself. And I'm so thankful that I got the opportunity to work for a few years for a sanctioning organization. And I was pretty involved in the business aspect of it because I was the personal assistant to the president. They don't care. They don't care. They take the guy's belt. There comes another, you know, somebody else come along. And even that guy that they stripped, he'll come back. These fighters are mesmerized by those belts, you know, the WBC, they just keep making more and more. They got a special belt, you know, uh, for Triple G and, and Canelo. You know, know, a belt, another belt, this, that. They just, these fighters are mesmerized by these belts. So, you know, they strip a fighter, fighter wins the title in the ring, they come along, take the fighter out, and the people making these decisions. That's the sad part about it, you know. Most of these guys wouldn't know a left hook from a fish hook, but they're making very critical boxing decisions, okay, about world champions, world-class fighters who put their lives on the line to win championships, and then they come along and strip them away. And it's all because, you know, they can generate more money or just so that they can, um, you know, uh, purport themselves as boxing authorities. But they don't care. So we'll be, we'll, you know, we'll be talking. We can talk about this forever. And they'll just keep right on doing it and, and, and are successful at doing it. 
listen, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, the greed factor is is the biggest enemy of the sport. But hey, Larry, it was great chatting with you again, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, next week because we'll be talking about the Chocolito rematch, and uh, hopefully yes. uh, we get treated to a good fight. I think it's a, a a very good card, and I'm looking forward to it this weekend. Okay, me too, Billy. All right, my man, have a great day. Okay, you too. That's uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard giving us uh, his thoughts, and uh, thanks for the email directed to him. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, today's blast from the past. A. Battelle is on deck. We'll be back in two. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watch. Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And it's that time again. Every week we do uh, one of our, uh, well, it is our longest running segment, and it's one of your favorites. It's uh, our Blast from the Past. And this week's Blast from the Past, which is being sponsored by KOFantasyBoxing.com. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Uh, and uh, the Title Bout Championship computer game, which has a new uh, version out now, so download your copy now. You can visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and click on the Title Bout uh, banner, which is uh, right there on the right-hand side. Uh, this week's uh, Blast from the Past features former world champion and boxing Hall of Famer Abe Attell. And joining us right now to tell us all about Abe Attell, since he's so... Uh, I just noticed how uh, knowledgeable he is about Abe Attell. Uh, he's going to fill us in on that. Uh, Alex Papali, what's up, my man? You know, geez, I, aren't you related to Abe somehow? I mean, you know, I mean, just just cut it short. Just tell us a little bit about him, all right? All right. All right. Yeah, we're cousins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Abe Attell. He's, uh, he was, he was, uh, tell us about him, man. Go ahead. Abe Attell, his actual, his real name was actually, uh, uh, Abraham, um, a, wait a minute, Washington. Sorry, Abraham Washington Attell. And the thing that was interesting, uh, this guy, his birthday was, um, February 22nd, um, 1883, some argument, it could also be 1884, um, Patriots, uh, mattress salesmen, and, uh, car dealers might recognize that date. It's also, uh, George Washington's birthday, the father of our country. Um, but uh, Abe Attell, his nickname was the Little Hebrew. Uh, he was just five foot four inches tall, and he fought as a uh, featherweight. Um, and one thing that was interesting at all, it, it, it couldn't. I'm not sure if the the limit changed a little because I think a lot of these fights the limit was 122. Of course, now the limit for featherweight is 126, but. Uh, maybe at some point it changed over the years. I, I should have checked into that. But he grew up, grew up uh, in. He was born in San Francisco, and he grew up in a uh, tough immigrant neighborhood there. And uh, it was actually the same neighborhood that um, James J. Corbett came out of. And um, 
He had to defend himself often as a child. Uh, his father uh, left the family when Abe was just 13 years old. And uh, then Billy C., he got into that uh, that trade that uh, <laughs> raises tough men. I know. I know. When I said... <laughs> When, when I saw when I saw that, I was like, "Oh God, here's another one." You, you know, that's one thing that we seem to not be a, the one common denominator in a lot of these early day fighters was they had a battle to sell newspapers, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And his at one time, at you one picture this little kid there with his sleeves rolled up yeah. and a, a rolled up newspaper in one hand and a black eye. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like that movie. Where all during the movie, the kid is going, you owe me $2.15. And the paper guy is chasing the guy on skis the whole night. I forget what movie that was. He, he was uh, he, better off dead, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was uh, avoiding the, the, the paper boy, you know. But uh, uh, anyway. And that was the thing about it is back then in those days, um, newspaper boys, uh, I don't know if it's true anymore. Uh, now I think it's mostly uh, – uh, middle-aged single men who deliver the newspaper uh, in cars uh, in the morning, uh, in the wee hours of the morning. I know that because I did it once. Um, but uh, the um, so I guess newspaper boys, yeah, they must have fought over their beats and stuff. Uh, but he was one time selling newspapers outside the Mechanics Pavilion in in San Francisco. And there was a world championship fight there, and uh, he got into it. Uh, he decided trying the sweet science. Well, um, well, the other the other thing, uh, Alex, is that uh, <clears throat> people don't really read newspapers anymore. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I mean, the truth of the matter, you know, I'm looking at our paper locally around here. And it's like ten pages. You know, it's like, well, you know, I, and and that's why I used to get it. I used to love getting the newspaper, but now I know everything already. By the time I pick up the newspaper, like news is reported so quickly, especially in our business, that you can't even it can't even go to print faster than you know it. You know, I mean, uh, uh, really, it, it's a dying uh, media. It, it is sad to say, because I personally like to hold, you know, uh, stuff in my hands to read. I, I like a book. I like the paper, you know, rather than reading it online. But uh, but back in his day, you didn't hear. I mean, you heard about new, new news could have taken place a week earlier. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, because now where everything's instantaneous, uh, you know, you learn things in a tweet. Uh, the um, it, it's just it, it's pretty slow. Uh, yeah, I mean, deadline writing. There's what they have to have the story written by like eleven thirty at night uh, in order to um, get it delivered by four thirty in the morning. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of archaic these days. But uh, like you said, some people still enjoy it. It's a part of their morning ritual. You know, the one thing I, I really noticed about uh, Abe Attell, uh, first and foremost, uh, he was uh, a, a, considered a, 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 an excellent uh, boxer uh, along with defense. I mean, he, he, you know, for a guy that for all intents and purposes was self-taught, um, you know, he, he was fluid as a, as a boxer. He, he didn't, wasn't known as knocking people out, although uh, he did uh, uh, have uh, slightly under a 40% knockout ratio for his plethora of fights. We'll get to that. But the thing that stuck out to me, one of the quickest things uh, as I was uh, reviewing uh, A. Battelle's record, and by the way, it was a request from you guys. So if you have a blast from the past request, and we do have several in, in the queue, uh, feel free to drop me an email, Billy at talking, T-A-L-K-I-N, boxing, B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Um, George Dixon, a boxing Hall of Famer, uh, a. Battelle fought him 
in his 12th pro fight in 1901, uh, he's fighting George Dixon. George Dixon had a record of 62 wins, 10 losses, and 29 draws uh, at that time. You know, uh, this was also during that era of uh, newspaper decisions, etc. And he went 10 rounds with him, Alex, to a draw. He fights this guy, who was a champion at the time, by the way. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, when we get to uh, the amount of Hall of Famers this guy has fought, it's just ridiculous. Um, and we're talking about an age when uh, some of the fights were considered newspaper decisions, so there's not really a, an official uh, who won, who lost. Uh, it depends, like, what region's uh, writer uh, covers your beat, and you get that uh, his say-so. Um, but, uh, yeah, if I could just read, he's ranked number 41 in um, one of our most, not that Burt Sugar's an expert, uh, you know, the, the be-all and the end-all of boxing scholars by no means, but he's very uh, uh, colloquial, and he... Um, he has a very engaging style and, yeah, colorful. And I do like um, this little, if I could read a little section of this, this would uh, give you an idea of how he fought. Uh, one of the things, there was an article I read from 1975 by Red Smith, and what he called him was um, he was a master boxer, a dedicated gambler, and a tireless schemer. And we'll get to that part because that's also a very fascinating thing about here, about uh, Abatel. But here, Bert Sugar. With all the ease and grace of an early day sand dancer, Attell could block, slip, duck, and sidestep, darting in and out and around his opponent, all the while fainting him into knots. And then, with the greatest arm-to-body coordination in ring history, land his own devastating punches on his by now frustrated and beaten foe. It's a small wonder that this small, spidery ring magician was accorded the, the same honorary title that had been given to young Griffo before him and would be given to Willie Pep after him. The Will-O-The-Wisp. And what that is, is uh, Will-O-The-Wisp is a, a natural phenomenon. It's this, uh, it's like a phosphorescent uh, swamp gas that appears that from, from gases releasing from all the, you know, fermenting uh, uh, natural materials in a swamp. And uh, it's thought of as sort of, you know, it's not there, or it's not here, it's all around you. Uh, so imagine a fighter like that getting that name, just uh, who, a guy who fights in a fog almost. But yeah, the, uh, the thing about his, I mean, how many fights he had, even that's a question. BoxRec says he was 11-0-1 with seven KOs uh, before facing George Dixon the first time. They, they drew in their first fights, uh, and then he beat him. Uh, but Cyber Boxing Zone actually has... Um, him at 27 and 0 with 21 KOs before facing Dixon the first time in uh, Denver. Well, some of, some of those early fights, I guess, were considered exhibitions, at, at least as, in terms of uh, uh, Boxrec's opinion, and and you know they're they're. They, they try very hard to verify every single fight that they put. And what they do do during the eras, uh, and, and by all means, I'm, I'm not a huge Boxwick fan, but what they do do is for the newspaper decisions, they actually have gone back and taken the uh, overall average of the newspaper decisions because, as you suggest and are 100% correct, 
you know, the beat writer from a local guy gives him the win, you know, and, uh, you know, that's how they get these wins and losses. But the George Dixon uh, fights, yeah, uh, according to at least uh, uh, BoxRec, you know, they fought to a draw in the first time in 1901, again in 1901 later that year, uh, several, just two months later, uh, to another 20-round uh, draw. The first one was a 10-round draw. Then he fights uh, George Dixon again for a 20-round draw. And then the third time, eight days later, uh, he on uh, October 28th, uh, he finally wins a 15-round decision, and which starts the first question mark about Abe Attell. For all intent purposes, he should have been crowned the champion at that time. George Dixon had the title, and apparently the title was on the line. But he does not get credit for winning a title until... Um, 1904 when he beat Harry Forbes but then again he wasn't recognized by everybody until 1906 when he beat Jimmy Wall so I mean uh, we were always talking about today and all the title belts and stuff but it seemed like there was a little confusion back then uh, as well but then again back then you claim you were the world title and then somebody had to beat you uh, so it was, it, was, it was pretty confusing in that era too Alex definitely and just like we just had last week or two weeks ago with the made-up uh, money belt, uh, there actually was a belt given uh, at the time. Um, I think it was the Police Gazette was published by Richard Fox, uh, who was a big boxing, just loved boxing and, and was sort of a... Uh, I'm not sure what you would call it, but like a promote, sort of like a Dana White or something of the day, or maybe well, not really a promoter. I mean, he was more uh, of somebody who also who loved the sport and uh, honored the fighters and wrote about the fighters. He published the book, uh, the National Police Gazette, and um, he created a belt for that uh, for the win over George Dixon. Um, he was also he... George Dixon was the first black um champion in any division he was uh canadian um and uh you know it was joe gans who then came after him that was actually the first uh african-american well um uh fox from the police gazette i if i'm not mistaken his belt was regarded as the world title and it, it went back to J, uh, john l sullivan um, that uh, yes, that's what confused me because I, that's what I thought too. But you're right; it didn't have official recognition for some reason until for f until years later. So I, I was a little sketchy as to why that was. Well, when they travel, when they when they trace back the title, the the linear title, it does go back to his belt because remember the Ring magazine wasn't even introduced until the 20s, and then they pick up from there. So, but anyway. Um, Abatel uh, uh, clearly was regarded as uh, the world champion uh, by everyone by 1906. And uh, talk about a who's who, um, you know, which is another common thing. I mean, two common things that we always face doing blasts from the past, uh, that they fought everybody in their era, and they were newspaper delivery boys at one point. But uh, uh, tell us about all the, uh, all the uh, world, uh, all the Hall of Famers that he's fought. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, that's the thing. This this badass newspaper boy uh, fought lots of Hall of Famers. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine of them. Uh, George K.O. Cheney, who was a murderous puncher, he fought him late in his career and defeated him. He was one and zero against him. He fought the great Ad Walgast. It was a newspaper decision. He fought him in ten rounds. 
Uh, like you said, he uh, beat George Dixon for the title. Uh, he was 1-0-2 oh, against Dixon. One of those, I think two of those fights actually, oh, no, one being a 15-rounder and one being a 20-rounder and then one being a 10-rounder. Um, he fought uh, Jim Dr Driscoll, uh, a newspaper decision, 10 rounds. Uh, peerless Jim, Jim Driscoll, often referred to as Jem Driscoll as well. He was a guy from uh, Cardiff, Wales, and uh, uh, considered another all-time great featherweight. Um, he had a no decision, uh, newspaper decision, sixth rounder with Battling Nelson. He was 1-1 one one against Johnny Kilbane. He was 0-1 against Freddie Welsh. He fought Owen Moran five times, three newspaper decisions and two draws. And he fought Jim Driscoll once, uh, 10-round newspaper decision. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, um, I think recently we did another guy who uh, had a, um, who was it, maybe Gene Fulmer, uh, who had a list of um, Hall of Famers like that. But uh, when you see a guy like that, I mean, that's, they don't make them like that anymore. No, we had Gene Fulmer and Fritzy Zivic both. Uh, uh, yeah, we did Fritzy Zivic, right? Yeah, um, they uh, they both fought a bunch of them too. But uh, uh, yeah, you know, and the thing with Abe Attell is that um, you know he continued. You know, he so called retired several times, but back then, uh, you know, re it wasn't like staying out of the ring a couple of years. He retired and came back like you know a couple of months later. So he pretty much consistently uh, fought the biggest. Uh, uh, you know, uh, space in his career really was at the end uh, after uh, he beat uh, George K.O. Cheney, like you referred to. Uh, that was 1913. He did lose a newspaper decision a couple of months later. Then he took two years off before he would come back and uh, beat uh, Frankie Callahan and, you know, did something Floyd Mayweather did. You know, here's a guy that uh, had uh, 72 wins at the time, and he fought a pro debut in Gloversville, New York, which happens to be close to where I am right now, which is uh, pretty amazing uh, that they even uh, had electricity or, or uh, life uh, going on because they just they just got running water not too long ago in Gloversville. But uh, his last fight took place uh, two years after that, which was in 1917, uh, a loss. Um, interesting thing about Abe Attell was that back in those days, and, and not only did they fight uh, a lot uh, back in those days, Alex, um, and we've talked about this many, many times, It was boxing was more of a trade, but in a way to make additional money, a lot of fighters bet on themselves. It was gambling in the sport of boxing was very big because the fights were much more even. So uh, betting on fights, uh, there was a lot of money to be made, which obviously... Uh, resulted in some <clears throat> fixed fights, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Abatel bet on himself a lot, uh, you know, as did a lot of fighters. Well, he would be forever linked to gambling. Uh, you want to fill us in on that? Yeah. Uh, like I said, there, he was accused in at least one fight of, of doing that, of sort of laying down. Not laying down, he didn't get stopped, but he didn't fight. He he, if you watch the fight, he threw very few – well – from what they there was no watching the fight back then uh there was no tape um but you uh they said the reports were that he didn't throw punches um so he had been accused of that maybe it was one of those things where he bet on the other guy um but um like we said he was always uh into gambling and um high stakes uh schemer 
he was involved in the uh, Chicago Black Sox uh, scandal. Uh, and it's very possible uh, he allegedly, he was the bag man. Uh, he was indicted. However, uh, they did not convict him. I guess eventually the charges are thrown out or uh, he, he just did not get convicted. But allegedly, uh, you know, when the Chicago White Sox uh, threw the World Series, they, um, uh, he was one of the ones who, with Ar the gangster Arnold Rothstein, uh, he was actually uh, supposedly the bag man who brought the money from Rothstein to the players uh, who uh, who threw the game. He was, uh, uh, several of the players testified against Abe Attell in that uh, scandal, and um, Attell throughout the whole process maintained uh, innocence. He, he said, uh, I was framed, I didn't do it, uh, I didn't do it. You know, it was a different, it was a different it, Attell. It was, yeah, it was, it, there was a sandwich in that bag. But, uh, um, you know, at the, at the end, the end result, was in despite being indicted and dragged through it they eventually dropped the charges against him for lack of evidence which i find pretty pretty amazing since i, I think there were six players that all uh, testified against abe Attell. but uh, nonetheless he had already stopped his boxing career uh, a year prior to that and uh he was operating a a, a shoe store um in new york city and this is where it gets a little confusing to me alex maybe you can tell me but um, you know, I, I think he operated a shoe store until 1926, where it he became a vaudeville actor in 1926, and then it goes blank for me. I don't know what he did. He lived to 1970. Do you have any idea what uh, Abatel was doing uh, after the scandal, after his shoe store, and after vaudeville? Uh, you know, I did not hear about the shoe store or, or vaudeville. All I have was that uh, he uh, became a resident of New York City and uh, he operated a tavern. Um, so, you know, he ran a bar. Um, but, uh, yeah, he passed away uh, at 85 years old. Um, in, in New Pulse, which is uh, the New Pulse, New York, which is where... Um, uh, Floyd Patterson had a gym up in New York. Oh, right. yep. So uh, I was uh, surprised to see uh, that as well. But uh, how did he fare in the title bout game? Of course, he, he's going to do, he's a badass, so he's going to do very well. Uh, even though today's current, uh, you know, the top guy uh, at Featherweight, we have two guys who are tried and true against each other, actually. You got Leo Santa Cruz and Carl Frampton, Frampton right now. I would say Leo Santa Cruz is on top. Uh, the first time they fight, Attell wins, unanimous decision, pretty lopsided. Uh, one judge gave the uh, gave Santa Cruz one round. One judge gave him uh, three. That was the best. So the scores were 118, 110, 117, 111, and 119, 109, all for Attell. When they fight 100 times, Abe Attell dominates. 94 victories, four defeats, and two draws, uh, 24 wins by knockout. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, uh, the guy, uh, he fought everybody, Alex, everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, and he had one of those styles that um, is going to be difficult. Uh, I don't know. I think that's the thing about it. As much as uh, uh, I tend to like um, punchers, um, you got to think it's the stylists that are the ones that would probably – 
do well in any era well, because and- um, the thing that they are good at is slowing things down and complicating things and make giving you a puzzle to figure out. Right. They adapt to what you're giving them and yep. they slowly turn it into what they want. But the interesting thing about the, the title bout game and Leo Santa Cruz, Leo Santa Cruz, I like Leo Santa Cruz. I like his style and everything else. But he's tall for for the division, and Abatel was not. Abatel was five foot four. You know, even I'm taller than him. You know, even Sal's taller than him. You know, so um, it was uh, interesting. But uh, I'm, you got to give credit where credit's due. Abatel, he had uh, 72 wins, 39 coming by knockout. He did lose nine times, only nine uh, in. Uh, uh, 99 bouts that were recorded, at least uh, uh, on uh, BoxRec. Uh, as Alex told you, there were several others that uh, are not included. And of those nine uh, losses, he was stopped nine, uh, four times. He had 16 draws on record. He fought 1,023 rounds, which, I mean, uh, today's fighters uh, don't come close to that, obviously, and, but their careers don't last as long either. But uh, Abatel... Former world featherweight champion. He died, uh, as Alex said, uh, at 86 years old in February of 1970. Was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1990. Abatel is our blast from the past this week. Alex, great job. And uh, your, your, your knowledge of Abatel uh, surpasses uh, most. And, and you know what? I just want to say this. I think that Bert Sugar is one of the, uh, you know, most knowledgeable, was one of the most knowledgeable guys in the sport. And that book, that's like when we do this segment, especially with guys that, you know, are, are known, uh, at least uh, at least uh, to Bert Sugar, you know, what he writes about them is, is a summary of their careers like no other has been able to put together. You know, I was glad that I uh, met uh, Bert Sugar uh, on a, several times, but uh, we had a lot of fun one time uh, at Madison Square Garden together, and uh, the guy knew his stuff, man. And uh, I, uh, I think boxing lost the gem when he passed. Oh, they absolutely did, and, and I, it is, uh, you know, it maybe it's not the best book, maybe it's not the most scholarly, but it's certainly a very entertaining read. It's a must-have for every boxing fan, uh, especially casual fans, because. Uh, if you have interest in this sport, that's the great way to get in get in deeper. It's a it's a good sort of gateway uh, drug for uh, boxing fans. Um, you know, his writing's very engaging and very fun. Almost every one of those things that he'll make you laugh at some point in the uh, thing. He's just a colorful, fun guy. And yeah, he is missed. He he uh, he made me laugh a lot uh, uh, many times. But uh, anyway, Alex, great job as usual, and we'll look forward to you uh, later in the week, hopefully, so you can give us your thoughts on uh, Chocolito's return. Oh yeah, that's this weekend. Looking forward to a great uh, fight card with Chocolatito and uh, uh, Sis Raquette. Sorung Visa. I love whatever, saying that name. Whatever. I'm like Larry. I just, I can't, and with that guy, I can't even say his first name, you know? So it's just like, yeah, it's his opponent. It's his opponent. You know, Chocolito's opponent, you know, uh, Roman Gonzalez. You know, I can say, yeah. <laughs> Alex, great job. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Take care, Billy. That's uh, Alex Papali. You can uh, catch him on Wednesdays and then some because he'll be back. He'll be back later in the week. And I'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. 
or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, speaking of being with us, joining us again, the one, the only, Sal Rocky Senecola. And uh, Sal, you know, uh, we were talking uh, uh, about uh, a bunch of stuff uh, before, but one of the things uh, with the belts and, um, you know, the significance of a belt and them stripping a guy and blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the situation where um, the IBF had warned Terrence Crawford after he unified the belts. First time we had all four sanctioning bodies unified uh, for over a decade. And, um, you know, Terrence Crawford beat another two-belt holder to win all four. And then before you know it, the IBF is threatening uh, Terrence Crawford that he must fight Sergey Lipinitz next. Sergey Lipinitz, uh, no disrespect to him, but 12-0 and 0 with 10 knockouts. Terrence Crawford is way beyond that. Uh, so uh, rather than get stripped, Terrence Crawford vacated the title. And now uh, the IBF has put up uh, at least their number three against their number four, Sergey Lipinitz, uh, who's 12-0, and 0, 10 knockouts, going up against Kirill Kondo, uh, uh, um, who's 29-6-1. Uh, and 1. This was my point before, when we left you last. You know, wouldn't it have been advantageous for the IBF to to kind of you know work with Terence Crawford and his team to let him fight their mandatory guy, um, and then still at the same time have the value of a name like Terence Crawford holding their belts rather than take this route. Which let's be honest, it, this isn't a huge draw. I mean, it is a money sanctioning fee uh, for them, but uh, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, it, it it's a it's a odd situation because you know you have uh, maybe not even arguably one of the best uh, fighters in that weight class uh, that you can ever uh, see right now, and that's Terence Crawford. And as he has been recognized as the sole champion, for a sanctioning body to strip him of his title or take the belt away from him, and to try and match it together with the number three, number four, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, um, it doesn't leave me feeling that the credibility of the IBF, uh, even though they're one of my uh, my favorites, they were the last one, uh, the, f the next one to come up after WBA, WBC, the IBF was surely credible. Uh, I, feel, I feel torn about it because, um, you know, I understand what we're talking about the mandatories but yes uh not to con contradict what you should do and how you should do it but you know they, there's the old but uh you know maybe to get in line as a next opponent or as a next mandatory after this mandatory is fulfilled is maybe something that they have to try and do to uh you know uh, reward the fighters but also to uh, keep their credibility instead of just stripping it away. You know, I, you, Bill, you, it's you, a debatable topic. Yeah, but you know, you talk you, about it. You contradict yourself 
because well, I mean, not only it's a you... hard line thing. I'm I'm looking at it from both sides. Well, it's a debatable topic. Well, I'm, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, your thoughts because the truth of the matter is this: at least we both agree that there's too many effing belts to begin with, right? So, yeah. so we agree on that. And then, you know, I, we also know that the sanctioning bodies are in place uh, because of the greed factor, et cetera, et cetera. We agree on that. Then, uh, you know, we also agree that there should be one champion. We agree on that. And then all, what I disagree with you on is, hey, well, hey, you know, you want to wear uh, uh, the IBF belt. Well, then you got a mandatory. And, and it's, it's easy to assume that that mandatory position, the fighter that we're talking about, Fighter X, earned that spot, Right. But even that right. is under discussion. We see many, many times that number five, he, the, the old line, the next highest ranked fighter in our division, in our sanctioning body that's available gets the, yeah. that gets the thing. So it's like a, it's like a, a scam. Listen, there's no it doubt, is. Sal. There's no doubt. They could all play nice. And I do agree that, you know, uh, for the most part, if, if a sanctioning body says, hey, you got to fight within six months or eight months or nine months, whatever their uh, rule is, to, if for a fighter that might have all four belts, you know, and if he's going sequentially, I got to defend this, I got to do this one, I got this mandatory, I got that mandatory, um, it, it may exceed that limit. But I still think, Sal, that it's more advantageous for that sanctioning body to ride that wave rather than throw a fight like this. You know, and no, and I'm not disrespecting uh, Kondu or Lipinitz, but you know, if if you want to get your title out there and you want to get the recognition, you got to be, uh, you got to snuzzle up to a guy that people know about. I mean, the majority of people don't know either one of these guys. Well, you're so true, and they they do realize in that weight class that Terence Crawford is the very best. There's nobody in that weight class that's going to touch him. And that's why he is the undisputed champion. I think it's time that somebody or some of these champions that have these belts, you know, could make a stand too. I mean, it's a bold one, but say, hey, I'm going to align myself with the most credible sanctioning body. And uh, that's the only one I'm going to respect. Well, they do and that's that. that's the only one so, I'm going to do. Some of them do that, and even promoters have the deals with them, which, which equals BS, you know. I, BS and money on the side. Listen, exactly. Listen, you know what a good a, a good compromise for all of this would be? If the Tell fighters me. fought more frequently. Well, get yeah, that. I, yeah, I mean, I, come on, right? If they fought more frequently, uh, yeah. if we don't, I mean, let's face it. We give a fighter the fighter a year or what if he fights four times in one year? Oh, my God, four times, you know, four times. The guy fought four times. How did he, how did he do it, you know? I mean, uh, it's uh, it's crazy. These guys aren't fighting that much. You know, they're fighting no. two, three times a year at the most. You know, so I, I don't know. Listen, there be value. You know, Floyd Mayweather will tell you, you got to create value in your yes. in your name, in your brand, or whatever, right? That's the name of the game. And these sanctioning bodies, because of greed, all they care, and Larry hit it on the head, they don't care. That's the they bottom line. They no, don't care. They don't. Blanket they, statement they, across the board. They just want their sanctioning fee. And That's the right. truth of the matter is, is that they're actually devaluing their own belt. Because, you know, when you have a fighter that most people know who they are, and he's got the belt, they refer to him 
as the world champion. Case in point, Anthony Joshua, and even Deontay Wilder for uh, that matter. You know, I, I mean, and, and to suggest that the W, and Larry alluded to it, you know, WBC is making another belt, which we're going to talk about tomorrow <laughs> for this fight, you know, coming up with Triple G and Canelo. But, but one thing I want to mention real quick is that the other heavyweight champion, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you got people know that Anthony Joshua is a world heavyweight champion. We know that because he beat Klitschko. That's how most people know. But what you maybe people don't know is that he's the IBF champion and currently the WBA champion. Now, Deontay Wilder, he's the other champion of uh, the four major sanctioning bodies. He has the WBC belt. And then the fourth guy or the, the third guy um, to equal the four top uh, belts is Joseph Parker. Many people might not even know who Joseph Parker is because he doesn't really he hasn't really fought anybody and he's making a title defense against Huey Fury, who in my opinion has no business fighting in a world title fight. But here's a, a, a very big thing, Sal. They are offering it on YouTube as a pay per view. And it's wow. gonna be about um I guess uh, you know, maybe ten bucks uh to watch this. Um, and their 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 goal here is they're trying to compare it to a hundred dollar price tag uh, for U.S. fighters. Now this fight right now is only offered in the U.K. and in in, in Ireland. But um, you know the 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 thing is 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 this could this be the future of pay per views? Well, I think they're gonna break the uh, break the seal there and open up the floodgates, and you know we'll see. Uh, you know, hey, the value. Belts, they could devalue pay-per-views and put them, make them available across the board uh, for less money. Why not? Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's. Well, it's not the wide world of sports. It's the wild world of sports. I don't well, know. I it think feels, it's interesting. Streaming, streaming is definitely the future. Um, it once, is. Once, it is. You guys and, told and me for, that a couple for, years ago, and I said streaming wise, a plane stream for, across for, the sky. For all intent purposes, the signals are being transmitted. Uh, the same way right now and yeah. it's just a definition you know people think of streaming as on a handheld or on a computer which is true uh, but it, trust me it's not going to be long uh, before everything is like that but uh, anyway listen tomorrow we got a lot of stuff we're going to be doing uh, over the next few weeks uh, we are going to be introducing our newest segment and Sal I'm excited about this um, oh, we are going to be doing a new segment, and it's going to be based on fights that never were. Big fights that all the fans demanded but never took place. For example, Lennox Lewis against Riddick Bowe or even Mike Tyson against George Foreman. Um, fights like that. And uh, Sal and myself and Dax Khan and Alex Perpali are all going to be on at the same time. And we're going to give you the reasons why the fight was in, in demand, uh, some of the reasons why it didn't happen. Uh, we're going to give you our breakdowns and predictions of the fight as if it was going to happen. And then, as a little twist, thanks to Alex Papali and his computer machine. That, uh, the boxing uh, machine. The, the boxing machine <laughs> that, uh, that Sal uh, uh, likes to call it. Uh, however, it's simply the title bout championship computer game. <laughs> will punch in that fight and give us a round-by-round -round description of what's going on, and then we'll talk about it uh, post-fight. So we're real excited about that. Look for that to start this month. We got some guests lined up for this month. Busy month of September. But let's kick it off with this. 
Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, ciao, baby.